Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. All right, everybody, welcome to the 182nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling here. Um, I want to be transparent with the listener. Dustin said, can we record at 4, o- 4 o'clock? And I said, no, but we can record at 4.01 because uh, your boys got <laughs> FanDuel lineups to do at 4 o'clock. So I, I, thank, I thank Dustin for being able to accommodate my weird-ass schedule of Really needing to have my three thirty to four o'clock time slot focused on daily fantasy. So I appreciate that, it. You gotta get that calendar block, block it out. Just like just like Dame in the ESPN commercial, everything's blocked out for Dame time. Oh bro, like I don't return text until four oh one. You 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 can will not get me to reply to anything at three fifty eight. That ain't happening. I'm doing I'm doing five lineups today. That's $35. You think I want to waste $35 if I'm not paying attention? Come on now. Well, at least at least someone's winning right now because our Trailblazers not looking so hot, Sage. Uh a one in three week after winning uh three straight. The Blazers had their first real test against the Clippers, played them well for a half. Kind of got routed towards the end of that game, losing by 20 in Los Angeles on TNT and getting obliterated by the announcers in the process. We'll get to that later. Follow that up on a back-to-back at home, beating the Kings in a 127-116 shootout. And then they dropped two straight home contests Friday night, uh, 136-113 to against the Western Conference-leading Los Angeles Lakers. And then last Sunday night, uh, just a tough, tough loss they took at the hands of the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team they have already defeated twice this year. They dropped the third matchup of the season, 108 to 96. But more, more than any wins and losses that the Blazers accrued over this week, Sage, none was more immense or more impactful than what happened to Rodney Hood during that second quarter of the Lakers game where you knew immediately that uh, it was the Achilles and that he was going to be done for the season. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that on the broadcast we heard, you know, he had a messed up Achilles and then, or, you know, Achilles that bothered him. I don't want to say messed up, but, and then he played and then it, he heard it like not too far after that was said. It's I just think like, it was next game. I remember, I think it was Jason quick that tweeted it out. Hey, Rodney hood has a sore Achilles. I saw that pop up in my timeline and just the, the red flags in my brain just started going crazy. Why is this guy playing one? We're not in the playoff hunt right now. This isn't the postseason. The season isn't worth it. What, what are we doing with ourselves? Sage, who is, green lighting this call. I don't think enough people are talking about this because it has incredible ramifications, not only for the trailblazers, but for Rodney hood, a a player who took 
less money to sign with the Blazers. Yes, he has a player option next year for about $6 million, but he was probably hoping to get a little bit of an increase. And given the way he was shooting the basketball, it was likely going to come. And you have a guy who just started to find his rhythm, just started to reach that potential that he had coming out of Duke. And he felt comfortable. And and this happens. And I just am so devastated for him. I, I've kind of been groggy all throughout the weekend and I just can't kind of shake it. It's almost like when you have a have a hangover and you're like, you know, I could still go out and do things, but I just feel like shit. I've kind of felt that just that pit in my stomach for the past 48 hours ever since that injury happened. Just felt so horribly for Rodney Hood because one, he doesn't get to play ball for an entire season plus, but the Achilles rupturing is arguably the worst injury a professional basketball player can sustain. So that just adds another layer to an already disastrous situation. Yeah. I I remember during the Lakers game. And in fact, that they were saying he has a sore Achilles and then like next quarter, it was like, Oh shit, he's done. Dude had a, was having a career year. He was he was learning this system. He was mastering it. He he was our spacer to go from Rodney Hood, who was gr- cash from three to Bays is a huge drop down. Not only the, the drop down from from Hood to Bays, but now it, it's you're going from Bays to Hazonia, and mm-hmm. so that's that's where the levels really start to widen. And you're looking at a bench unit consisting of Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, Mario Hazonia, and Scalabissier. Only one of those players, Anthony Simons, was really projected at all to get any meaningful minutes this year. So that just really depletes an already depleted Blazers roster. Yeah, we're we're very top-heavy. And we're top-heavy at all of the same fucking position. Scalabissier had to to play for us. As soon as Zach Collins went out, we knew knew Scal had to play his minutes. Um. I would honestly say I thought Scal was getting minutes the minute Nurk went down. That's fair enough. Uh, yeah, that's a fair because that's a fair save. to me, when you look back at it, even at the time, it felt like a catastrophic injury. And yes, we weathered the storm, and and goddamn, we punched through the eye of that storm all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Did better than anybody could have ever imagined. But that injury set us back so much further long-term than I think even you thought, I thought, anyone thought. Because if you think about how it impacted the summer decisions, no one is going to say that Myers Leonard is a better player than Hassan Whiteside. But when you have to give up Myers and a Mo Harkless, and what's one of our biggest issues right now? It's perimeter defense. Mo Harkless was a good defender. So if you have Nurkic and he's healthy in the fold, he's your starting five. You don't have to go out and make a move for Whiteside. That was a a move that Neil O'Shea had to make. We needed a starting center. So you get Whiteside, but you lose your perimeter defense. And these domino effects kind of keep going into place. It just starts to snowball because then you lose Zach. Then you lose your other interior defender. And then you have to make up for it and you go get Melo. Well, Melo is going to provide the offensive punch but then you don't have much defense. So it just seems like that move, or excuse me, that injury from Yusuf Nurkic just really snowballed. And Portland is, it's almost like it's a sinking ship and you have, you know, four holes, but only three things to plug it up with. And all of a sudden just more holes just keep appearing. 
I just, I don't know when the dam's going to burst. I I felt like the dam just burst on Friday night, to be completely honest. I mean, obviously, when something like that happens to a guy that top five center, you have to adjust. And I think Hassan was a good move. I think that Mo Harkless had a really shitty year last year and was just I don't think that he would have had a great year this year. So I think that's a good move, but I think the moves around that sucked and you're seeing it now. And I think if we're going to, if, if Baze is going to take the starter spot, which I really don't, I don't like it because of spacing. I texted you during the game last night. Look at how disrespectful Chris Paul's defending Baze. It's essentially four on five. Like, Bays isn't even a threat because Chris Paul doesn't. He hit three threes in the first quarter, right? And then I they gave him the respect, and then that second half, the respect was gone. You don't you don't get the respect from Chris Paul until you make one, and we didn't. Like that's when I I talked about spacing last episode and how great it was. Now it's back to you're gonna see whoever's guarding the three cheat on Hassan on all pick and rolls. I think Bays had a really good spot on the bench. That sixth man or sixth seventh man role, I think he was really good and built for it. A lot of speculation about trades and free agent signings and stuff like that. I honestly would give Gary Trent the, a lot more minutes because we know what Mario Hazonia is. We know what Kemp Bazemore is. They're not going to change that much. Gary Trent is still very moldable with how he plays and you know what he could provide. I would like to see him play more. And a lot of that is based on his shooting. He's a threat, whereas you saw Chris Paul wasn't even 10 feet from Kent Bazemore. At least someone's going to have to stay on Gary Trent Jr. Because the one thing you know about him is, oh, he can shoot. I just think Portland is kind of in a damned if they do, damned if they don't mindset right now with whoever they have out on the court. You say Bays isn't going to make a difference offensively. He made it defensively, though. He, he's a good defender, but then you're also, he still is probably the one of the best offensive guys we have coming off the bench. So by moving him into the starting lineup, you, you hurt yourself. Then you weaken the bench and you're asking Anthony to shoulder the entire load. Nasir, on the other hand, is probably more suited to play that Nicholas Batum starter at the small forward position. Get in there, just play some defense, be aggressive, attack the glass, and just overall hustle. But you're also looking at where we were at with maybe a Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino, where teams are just going to leave him wide oh, open. Oh, they're going to leave him. They're going to disrespect him more than they did Kent Bazemore. At but least to Kent's- me, I'm all for that. And that's one thing I need this year to work on. Is the or, shooting. Is the shooting. And you're only going to get it through repetitions. And I also think he has the highest ceiling of mm-hmm. any of our other options left. I am with you 100%. Gary Trent needs to be getting minutes. There is no, I mean, unless he's still dealing with that hamstring injury he, he was able he was able to play yesterday so i don't i don't i don't think the blazers would be willing to play somebody else that isn't particularly ready to play ball after the things that, that have happened this year you know yeah I, I just think the one thing the blazers can't do is say it's it's playoffs or bust and we're gonna i mean goddamn, you look last night Five starters all over 32 minutes. You have Damian playing 38 and a half, CJ playing 38, Kent playing 36. 
a 35-year-old Carmelo Anthony is playing 36 minutes a night. I get that our bench is kind of a shit show right now, but our starters aren't doing much better, and it's because they're running them into the ground. And I think the Blazers need to kind of pull back a bit and, and just say, we're trying to win, and what we're doing isn't working. We're still losing. I'm not calling this a tank. I'm saying we need to preserve Damon CJ a little bit more than we're doing. Um, you, you can just see them running them into the ground. Mello and CJ are coming out in the first quarter and they're still going back in, in the first quarter. Like, I don't know how much worse it has to get for Neil O'Shea and Terry Stotts and, and Jody Allen to kind of all collectively come to it, but they need to get there soon because what they are doing is not working. This season is not worth it. I don't know how many more signs the basketball gods have to throw their way for them to realize, oh, let's look long-term because we're going to get to the tail end of Dame and CJ's contracts in four or five years. And the minutes they put on their body now are going to come back and bite them in the future. And you're seeing what's happened to LeBron. It was a blessing in disguise that he got hurt last year and he was able to finally rest. Didn't have to go through June in the finals. He got to rejuvenate and recharge, and you're seeing a more motivated, a more refreshed superstar. I'm not asking to to play Damon CJ half the game, but I I think it's realistic to to lower their minutes by four or five a night and really tail them off in practice, which I'm hoping they're doing, because going balls to the wall just to get the seventh or eighth seed, just to get slaughtered by the Clippers or the Lakers, you know, to be perfectly honest, that that's my nightmare scenario. I don't want to get embarrassed on national TV for four straight nights and then have Chris Webber tell me, you know, three of those nights, oh, look at the isolation ball, another, another isolation. I mean, it, it, we've suffered enough. Let's just kind of take our medicine like the Warriors are doing and just kind of chillax on this season. And we, you know, we've been preaching this, I feel like, the whole season ever since we kind of started to see the injuries pile up. But let's just look long-term. Like this is what the franchise is about. Just because it's a terrible year this year, there's a lot of young players. Our core is young. They're experienced, but they're young. And we've got a lot of promising prospects plus a possible lottery pick. Like the future is bright. Let's not try to shorten our future by trying to extend this season, which has proven to be not really what we all wanted it to turn out to be. One thing about the long-term thinking is I th- I see a lot of fans wanting to trade Kent Bazemore, Gary Trent, and a first for certain players that have, you know, capped their ceilings and are all ab- on the absolute downtrend of their career. Iguodala, Jay Crowder. Yeah, you, you know what I was. You know exactly the trade I'm referencing. But, like, I'm so unwilling to do that trade with the first round pick. I don't care if there's protections or not. I want that first round pick to be ours. 1000% long-term thinking is important, but if we trade that first round pick this year, I'm going to be so disgusted unless it's some superstar. I think the only way you trade that first round pick is if you're by the deadline, we're clearly out of the playoff picture. Maybe another one of those superstars, like you mentioned, becomes available or I don't know why a guy like, you know, Bam out of Bayou, uh, a guy in a rookie contract who's just playing out of his mind becomes available. It won't. But those are the only two relative scenarios that make any sort of sense to trade that pick. You know, you're if you're Portland, you keep that pick 
and you A, can either make a, a great draft day selection, which Neil Olshay is as prone to do, or you can package it and get your superstar in, in the summer. Mm-hmm. So there, there's multiple avenues, but the moment you trade it to try to win now, all of that goes away and your options are severely limited. Would you say that Caleb Swanigan's the one bad draft pick he's had in the last like five years? Yeah, I mean Caleb Swanigan was was definitely a terrible selection, but but again, it, one out of one out of five, one out of six, one out of, like it, it's it's a he has a very good track record of and hitting. It's, it's not only the one out of five or one out of six; it's where you were selecting. I mean, I remember when we had you know the the tenth pick and we were doing podcasts and you you were throwing out facts of how really unsuccessful a lot of the the tenth overall picks are. I mean, the draft in itself is a complete crapshoot. And to think, you know, Caleb was taken at what twenty four or twenty six. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that's acceptable. Like having a uh, taking a small L at the twenty fourth or twenty sixth pick, whatever it was, that's fine. And that that's you, the norm. That's what happens yeah, to yeah. GMs on a yearly well, basis. I mean, so the fact that we're talking about one failure in the draft is pretty crazy. Like he found Alan Crabb in the second. He finds dude Jake well, Layman's on. Jake Lehman's on a second. Will Barton's playing 40 fucking minutes a game. He is fu- he can find players if he has the draft capital. And if he can find diamonds in the rough in the 20s and 25s and late seconds, think what he could do with the top 5, top 10. Like he could he can find us a guy that's going to be a big piece for a long time. And one thing I'm surprised I'm not hearing more of it and maybe because it's so fresh coming off of the 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 no pun intended, that the heels of the Rodney Hood injury is the fact that this is the first real adversity the team has faced under Jody Allen's leadership. You know, Yusuf Nurkic happened so late into the season that you couldn't make any moves. I mean, it was really all just like, hey, we got to continue playing and, and see what happens. But this is the first real fork in the road that we are going to be under another owner's watch. And Paul Allen may have always wanted to go one way, whether that's, you know, always try to win. I got to fill up the stands from all reports. Jody Allen is more hands off. So this could really be a direction derived by, by Neil O'Shea and, and his staff. And I think that is an interesting scenario to kind of watch unfold as we really go through the month of December, which I think this month of December is the, the turning point. We, we've discussed it ad nauseum. 10 of the 14 are at home. A lot of sub 500 teams, a lot of teams you should beat. If Portland doesn't take care of business and really isn't above 500 or even a couple games under, I think you got to pull the plug because one thing that I was noticing, I was in attendance for the Sacramento game. I was obviously in attendance for the Oklahoma City game is for, for the Kings. Yeah, we won that game. But they were without Fox and Bagley and Bogdanovich. And it, it was a closely contested game throughout. Like we were not looking like the dominant team that beat Oklahoma City on Thanksgiving Eve. I mean, that was really one of our better wins of the season. Like we looked legit 20 point win. We were not able to really put our foot down against a, a lowly Sacramento team and to kind of double up on the fact that we're not a playoff contending team is how we looked against the NBA's elite. The Clippers had their way with us, especially inside, and ran away with that game. And then the Laker game, it's tough to say how it plays out if Rodney Hood doesn't get hurt, because I think that sucked the entire life and emotion out of the the arena and the players. 
but it wasn't looking good to start off. We had no answer for 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 their superstars, especially Anthony Davis, just as we kind of uh, alluded to on the previous episode. So you know you're not stacking up well against the elite, and you're barely skating by against the bottom feeders. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Jody Allen lets Neil Olshay navigate in the, the the route that Olshay wants to go. You know, a- a- after this homestand and this month, it really is, there is no halfway crooks. We have to pick a side and hopefully it shows that the best possible route is to, you know, limit our stars and limit, you know, the risk of overplaying Dame CJ and, you know, but I I think what would help us a lot is we found lightning in a bottle with Mello. We got we got to try to find something. We have two roster spots. Might as well try something. I mean, to me, it's it sounds defeatist, and, and I hate to come across that way or even think that because of how determined Dame and, and CJ are, and especially with you know Bosnian Beast uh, on the horizon potentially sometime in 2020. But to me, the Rodney Hood injury was the one that that broke my spirit, that that broke my back because you knew you're going to get Zach Collins back potentially at the end of the season. You knew Nurkic was progressing well. You were going to get him back. Hoodie was such an integral piece to that playoff run that we had this past year, playing the best basketball of his career. And it's not like he got a hamstring where it's like, ah, oh, that's going to be nagging him. Let's rest him for maybe a month or, you know, a really bad ankle sprain or, or something of that nature. It's the Achilles. And we were already one of the worst benches in the entire league. But then now having to bring someone up from that bench to start. I mean, you, you just talked about it, Sage. We have, we used to have shooters we could kick it out to and, and not having hood diminishes those options. And, you know, we keep, trying to yeah we have two roster spots open but you know i don't think kenneth reed's making this team any better uh, i don't think joe kim noah's making this team any better I, I think we have honestly suffered just just one too many blows and i think we just kind of have to play the season out you know don't tank you know play play the starters um respectable minutes really really try to develop you know an anthony a gary i think this is a perfect opportunity for a gary trent jr obviously we've seen some flashes from nasir little and if you're going to make a move, I, I don't think you do anything short term. I think everything is long term. And I, I would honestly be surprised. I know a lot of other people think we're definitely going to make a move. I think that was the, the case before Rodney went down. After Rodney went down, I mean, our assets we could trade were already minimal. But then it just shrinks even further. I would be surprised if we if we make a move. Um to be completely honest, unless it's like a two small expirings for a larger expiring that you hope to get their bird rights. You know, a trade that I floated out with you is maybe like Scal and Tolliver for a Jay Crowder. Again, you build Jay Crowder, get his bird rights, play him next year. Um, but I just don't see we're going to, I don't, I, I don't think we're going to do anything big. I, I think, just, I think the, the, that would be the dream scenario. I think another one would be like, uh, Hazonia and, Tolliver and a future second for Denzel Valentine or something like that. Take a risk on a player. I mean, essentially doing what you did with Thomas Robinson, what you did with Mario Hozonia. Rodney Hood. Yeah, a former first round pick who maybe just hasn't found their footing. 
I think Neil needs to uh, really look at the, the depth and the types of players he's bringing in. If there was one critique that I could think of is that when he finds a type of player, he kind of just gravitates towards that. And obviously you see Dame and you see CJ and Anthony, like our three best players play very similar mm-hmm. types, types of ball. Like it would be nice if, you know, okay, we really need a two way wing. We really, I mean, Yes, he credit him for going out and targeting Zach Collins, but like more of those types of players. So we're not just so one dimensional, like, oh, we got to outscore teams. I mean, that's not sustainable, that that's not winning basketball. I think that we bring people in free agency to fill in the guard roles, like a shoot, a, a, a wing shooter, and maybe another guard where we're not playing Dame and CJ 40 minutes a game type of thing. I don't, I don't think we really address the bigs unless it's via trade. But I could definitely see us bringing in Jonathan Simmons and Dante Cunningham to play wing minutes. I I, just, I don't I don't think we bring in like a Ken Fareed. Well, we maybe we do, but I heard he's hurt, so maybe not. But like I think it's it's wing minutes and you know to give a buffer and a but don't little rest. Don't we need big, big men support though? I mean, that's what we talked about preseason. Is if, if Zach went down and unfortunately that happened, our worst nightmares came true. We have no big depth. Even even if Zach was healthy, we don't have big depth. I th- maybe we do one big one guard, but Kenneth Reed ain't fixing this mess in the in in the front court. You know, no. But if he is going to look long term in the next type of players that he brings in, I would like to see more big men than wing. I think we have guards for days. Like I would, no more. Like let's let's really try to shore up what what we've been missing. You know, we had that type of player in Ed Davis. We had a Zach Collins. Like, we we had Ennis Cantor. Like, we had really solid bigs that could come off the bench. And, you know, you look at Hassan, and he, he he's playing 32 minutes. And, you know, Scal's just not big enough for some of these guys. It's just not not fair. And then you got Mello, who's still an undersized four. But he's a really only four that we could throw out there. And then Hazonia is the other option. Nasir Little, um, who really should be a three. So, I, I just think we really need to identify certain types of players that are going to make this a team. Well, I think that we have no, I think that uh, Neil realizes that Hassan isn't going to be here next year. And if we were going to arrest one, a group, it'd be the guards and not the center. But I agree. I agree that we do need talent. But then then who's the the center behind Nurk? Probably someone not on the roster right now. That's what that's, that's just what I'm saying. It's like, I'm, I'm not saying like, Oh, we have Fasan's Nurk, and we need another center. I, you know, Fasan's gone, then you're basically surviving off of a Nurk who's coming off of a significant injury. You know, kind of similar to what we rolled the dice going into this season. We had Zach, we let Aminu go, and we we had we had nobody behind Zach Collins. I mean, if if Hassan gets hurt for any serious amount of time, we're fucked. We don't have anything. That guard, that I think that 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 third shooter is. A, really devastating right now man but i think we have guards i think we're are we i think we might be confusing because i'm thinking of a a three four you're probably are you thinking three two okay see i i I don't think we necessarily need with damon cj you're always going to be a little undersized and obviously simons is getting six and minutes so the backcourt's always going to be a little small so i was thinking you know get a, a bigger wing obviously rodney hood was the prototype and, you know, hopefully we see him back next year. But 
I mean, Jonathan Simmons or someone like that. Oh, yeah. You know, someone who's just, you know, I need some size. I I hate getting killed on the glass. And one thing that is kind of one thing that has bothered me, regardless of the injuries, and this was pre-Rodney Hood, is the Blazers are, and I don't know where this came from because I've really just noticed it this year. They are a fundamentally poor basketball team when it comes to passing when it comes to closing out on on defenders, I mean, we we run. I mean, if you've ever seen Mighty Ducks, the the sequel, when they get uh, Luis Mendoza, the the speed skater from from Miami, who is the fastest skater on the on the team, but he can't stop. That's what we do when we close out shooters. We just run and we just run right past them. We we bite on every pump fake, and then I can't tell you how many times our players got lost on defense off of a scramble play against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they had multiple options out there ready to, ready to launch from three. We don't gang rebound. I, there, there's This team is fundamentally like flawed. Like We can go up and down the roster and say, oh, this player would make us better. I don't know if it's just a product of all of the adversity this team has faced that it's affecting their decision-making on the court. But... That's one thing that I want to see fixed, regardless of wins or losses. Like we just look like at times a JV squad out there just making mistakes that frankly, I'm surprised that it's, it's letting the coaches are letting slip. Um, I mean, we've had, but I've heard you complain about our passing for years that, that, I mean, and the closeouts for years. So I think that now that we're a lot less skilled, you're seeing that those problems be a much, much bigger thing. And in the past, we had people that had continuity. Now we're trying to redo everything. But we've always had these problems of you not trusting us to run fast breaks. That's been a thing for years. It's just now it's like we're faster and we make a lot more mistakes. But those mistakes have always been there. I mean, I'm just even there are times when we get mellow posted up on on a smaller player. And I noticed this against OKC. We had two guards on the strong side of the court and neither of them could get him an entry pass. And by the time he got the ball, it was three seconds on the shot clock. I mean, just, just little things that should be night. That should just be, you know, like breathing for just pure repetition. Um, old hat for the, for this Blazers roster that has played a lot of really good basketball in the past. And but re- they don't have the repetition. I mean, no shit. I mean, is, many- is it that hard to make an entry pass? Like, it doesn't matter if I'm passing it to Rick Smith's, Mark Eaton, or, or you. <laughs> I know how I've played basketball for, you know, if you're, if you're CJ, 10, 10, 30, 20 years, whatever. It's, it's a simple pass. Like, it's it, the fundamentals. And I encourage all of our listeners to, to watch this, especially against good teams. Our fundamentals are shit. And, oh, and we get outsmarted a lot. Yeah. And just they, that that to me is the most frustrating part because yes, you're going to get outclassed talent wise on some nights, like we saw against the the Clippers and and the Lakers. But there was no excuse to lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder in the fashion that we did. I understand 110 percent the mental letdown that occurred because of Rodney Hood, and I kind of sense it from the jump. But 
when there's only one player under there rebounding and everyone else is kind but of that, you know, that's that's been that shit for you. I've, I've complained about that from day one. No, we have always been a good rebounding team, Sage. Like we have always been this a, year. This year, it's but, yes, always been that. This yeah. year, that's what I'm talking about. This year, like it has been. We just are not doing the little things and you've talked about it like when we succeeded against the nuggets we gang rebounded especially from the guard position as an undersized team even with the sun i'm not seeing that that gang rebounding mentality i'm seeing I mean, so shit, many players it, get lost it was four thunder versus one hassan Whiteside. even i mean like that's been an issue from day one and i mean last year we had multiple rebounders this year we have one so it might be the size thing, but I see one Trailblazers versus three, four Lakers, Bla- uh, Nuggets, whatever. It's it, it, it. If you're Kent Bazemore, if you're Anthony Tolliver, whoever, I don't need you to run for fast breaks. I need you to get to the, get the ball. If you can't do anything with the ball, you probably should help rebound. And I'm seeing fuck like one v four for the rebounds a lot, like. We send way too many of our non playmaking guys out on fast breaks, hoping that Hassan can muscle man one v four or one v three. I think we need to change a little bit of our scheme for to allow for rebounding because, you know, making a miss is really good, but ending the possession for the opposing team is bigger. You got to end those possessions. You when you are undermanned, as the Blazers are going to be the rest of the season. You can't afford to give up multiple opportunities on on the defensive end. And one one area that I, I've seen get get weaker, and I thought it got stronger towards the end of last season during that playoff run. What was our perimeter defense this year? It has just gone to absolute hell. Sage, they, they've kind of just like, oh, we've got Hassan back there. He can clean up everything, and he has to kind of pick and choose what he wants to to do. But I mean, I have noticed our guys help when they shouldn't help and it just leaves another shooter open guys are getting blown by we are fouling at just an unreal clip i i know a lot of fans in the arena last night were upset with a lot of the foul calls they missed some on our end in terms of us getting fouled but the ones that we committed on okc felt legit like we just kind of need to kind of go back to the drawing board and just say scrap our expectations scrap what we thought was going to come into this season and just go out and play blazer basketball and just lay it out on the court and day by day. So I, I looked on uh cleaning the glass.com for the Portland trailblazers and we're one of the worst at allowing we're the 27th team at allowing uh offensive rebound 27.9% of the, the potential rebounds. We Get, we let them have so that's a huge thing and we don't force turnovers and we foul a lot i mean we're just giving teams extra points if we're fouling and we can't secure the rebound we're just giving them second third and fourth chances to to kick our ass and i mean just think about you laid it out last week how many wins were you know a coin flip well if we fouled less and got those rebounds that might have been the deciding factor for the coin to flip our way. And, uh, I, and just, I, don't, I don't think the rebounding will get better. I think that's just going to be something we deal with forever, but maybe not we can until foul. Zach and Nurt get back. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like we just don't, we're light in the ass. We could try and not foul so goddamn much, but we like to reach when we get beat. 
we liked you're absolutely right and one player who i think has really hit a wall you could say it's the rookie wall it is anthony simons he kind of started out pretty strong i even noticed his defense especially late in the game against brooklyn when he had to go against kyrie irving i was really surprised at how well he was making kyrie work to get his but these last few games penny has been an absolute foul monster and he's really reaching in he's there was one time when Chris Paul got the ball, I think it was second half, on the perimeter, and I was like, he's going to do the rip through, and he's going to get another foul on Anthony. Sure enough, three seconds later, that's exactly what happened. So, one, this this should not come as a surprise. He's a 20-year-old player really playing for the first time consistently. He's going to hit a wall. He's going to surpass it. He's probably going to hit another wall, and then he's going to surpass that. We have to grow with Anthony through these growing pains. I mean, that was a little bit of the risk we had to take when we, I mean, we not only letting go of Evan, but we had to let Seth Curry go. We couldn't match that offer. So this was our, our only option to do it. And I know people could say, Oh, let's, we should have gone and, you know, got it, got a backup point guard who could really play, you know, a, a pure point guard. Well, would you rather have Tim Frazier out there or would you rather let Anthony Simons get past these growing pains? Because, you know, not everyone is LeBron and can just be a star for, from the jump. A lot of players had to go through some shit to get to where they're at now. And, you know, why not go through that shit now when everything's already kind of gone? Yeah, gone to it hell? seems it seems like a perfect time to. All right. You, you got your 24 minutes and I ain't doing shit to you. Make your mistakes. I've. That's what the type of shit Terry should tell Anthony. You got these minutes. Don't foul all the time, but you got these minutes to make mere mistakes. I'm not. I'm not going to take you out until, unless you're just a complete liability with the fouls. Um, yeah, I mean, like if you're not part of the core future, man, I, I don't play as much. We need to see what Trent Little Simons can do. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm all on board of that plan. Um, so speaking of long term players. It's been reported now that the Cleveland Cavaliers are open to discussing trades for, for Kevin Love, even as detailed as asking for salary relief, first-round pick, and maybe an underachieving young player. Sage, were you ever on the Get Kevin Love to Portland train before? And if not, or if so, how does Rodney's injury impact your decision-making adding an extra four years of salary to um, uh, an early thirties, Kevin love like with, with this new injury, I'm very reluctant to trade future assets such as a first round pick. I know Cleveland's asking for a little, but they're asking for so little that there's going to be competition for that, for that player. I mean, Kevin love is going to help a team. I don't think it's our team this year. Maybe in the, if they're, if the, they ask for it next year, you could talk me into it, but with this and how we've played so far, and I, I don't, I would be very reluctant to trade future assets for a thirty-year-old guy. Yeah, I mean, salary aside, and that's a hard salary to to just it's maxed, right? To, yeah, to, to diminish. Max. You know, salary aside, just poor, looking at that fit. Okay, you know, Yusuf Nurkic is your franchise center. Perfect. You're probably going to have to move white side to make salary match regardless. Okay. So you can say distinctly, we have Yusuf at the five, Dame CG at the one, two. Hopefully you get Rodney back. He's, he's your core three. 
Well, then what do you do when Zach Collins returns? Do you have any future plans for Carmelo Anthony? Where does Kevin Love fit? I mean, that that's my whole question when it comes to these these power forwards that, that we've talked about, whether it's a Blake or a Love or a Gallinari. Where do they fit long term? Because all of these moves to me just scream win now when we need to be looking at the next year when you know, Neil Olshay drafted Zach Collins for a reason. We have talked about fit and player roles and responsibilities on this podcast before. Damon and CJ are going to take 30 shots a night. There are only so many shots to go around. We need to fill out the roster with guys who can probably hang their hat more on the defensive end, get others involved, and, and hit an open shot. I think Kevin Love's main, I would say, advantage in acquiring a player of, of his status is to come in and be the first or second option. And that's just not going to be the case. Importantly, he's going to be the fourth option. And that's just a really expensive fourth option to have on, on your roster. And someone that needs the ball in their hands to do shit, man. Like he, I just looked according to fantasy crunchers. He has a 22% usage rate. So Nurk has a 25 when he comes back. Damon CJ both have about 25. Like, there, there's only one basketball. We can only have so many good... It, it isn't my team in 2K where you can just magically make everybody have the ball. Like, in real basketball, you need people that can do work without the ball in their hands. And Kevin Love is not one of those players. He needs the ball in his hands. And I hope he goes to a contender. But I don't think the contender is going to be in Portland, Oregon this year. If I'm the Blazers, there are two types of models that have been proven to work in the past in terms of winning championships. You have your dynamic duos, and then you have just an insane collection of talent. And the latter doesn't occur very often. I would say the latter you could probably include in in, in terms of insane collection of talent. I meant like you have maybe one guy who could be considered an all-star. Or so the Pistons of old. 04 Pistons, 77 Blazers when you had Walton really anchoring that team. Lucas was a really fantastic player as well, but he was a defensive specialist. And you go back to the dynamic duos, and you look at the success that the Kawhi and Paul George are having in, in Los Angeles, LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, they essentially were a middling Western Conference team with, with LeBron and those three or four young players. If Portland is going to try to make a trade, and I'm not advocating for that at this point, but the formula has been, it's out there. It's its not a secret sauce. Instead of trying to add another like really good player in, in, in a Kevin Love, they'd be better served in continuing to get depth and fill out the roster with, with the Rodney Hoods of the world and finding guys who make a fit. I mean, we saw how well that team played going into the Western Conference Finals, led by Damon CJ, but then they had everybody else who knew their role. And you could exploit matchups, and you could have two-way players. Or you say, Dame, you're, you're option A. We need to find you your forever Robin. And You could make that argument that his forever Robin's just hurt right now. So why would you want to trade future assets for some th- someone that might not be as good as the guy that's chilling, recovering? So it, it's tough to be like, yo, we're going to trade CJ and this, that, and the third to get you your superstar when 
Nurk last year was a superstar. He needs to be consistent, though. And, and that's that's the key. And so what I've really come around to is trading for those superstars really is worth it. I mean, look no further th- than the Lakers. That team was an absolute disarray. And they get two of the top five players. And all of a sudden, they're, they're one of the best teams in basketball. Like, superstars. Shit, look what Jimmy Butler did to Miami. Look at Luka Doncic is doing in Dallas. I mean, it just, there's only five players on your team on the court at once. Ten total, obviously. So you get guys who are extremely dominant at their craft. It shifts the landscape. Every time you're on the court and you have one of those game changers, you're always going to be in it. And again, I'm not advocating trading anyone, but you mentioned that Portland may have their forever Batman or forever Robin and Nurkic. I would argue Portland is more closely aligned with the 77 Blazers and 04 Pistons where you get your strong center. You've got Zach Collins to play defense alongside him. Hoodie gets back is your spot up shooter. Damon CJ can kind of carry the load and everyone kind of falls into place. It feels like a cohesive unit. And I don't really ever see the Portland Trailblazers having a dynamic duo. It's just never been our MO from our franchise's inception. You know, we were really close with with Dane or with with Drexler and Porter, Kersey, Buck, Duck. That's the squad. The 77, the the 2000, you know, we had 12 deep. Those are the types of squads that tend to do well in Portland. And and we're close. We're just injured right now. And so I wouldn't want to trade a ton of assets for a guy who needs to be a, a first or second option. I just I don't think you can pay someone that much money to be a fourth or, or fifth option on, on offense. I, just, I think we need to start finding role players to fill this team out because. And finding role players is a lot easier than finding. Yeah, like we have Dame who he's the number one. That's a lot. It makes life a lot easier. We have CJ who could be a number two. We have Nurk who could be a number two. We just need to find those missing pieces. It's a lot easier to find a missing piece than the star. So, Sage, if you're Neil Shots and Terry, and Terry um, Neil Shots, Neil Shots, <laughs> I am so bummed out right now that, that the names are just rolling together. If you're Neil O'Shea, you're Terry Stotts. Where do the Blazers go from here? I think you trade for Denzel Valentine and you ride this year out and then have a uh, then hope your guys get healthy. I don't think you make any big moves now. It's not worth it. I think if we make our moves, it'll be next year. This year is kind of a shitty one and we think about bright futures. I wouldn't I, I would I'm fine trading a second round pick for Denzel, but I'm not trading a first and whomever for Kevin Love because of the reasons we said. So I would make a small move at the small forward and ride it out. Does the Rodney Hood injury impact your dis- your decision to see what you can get out of Nurk or Zach Collins this year? No, I, I would rest them. It actually, I w- it makes me more motivated to rest them. I don't want you know every time you step on a basketball court. There's that chance of injury. I would minimize it. So it makes me more risk averse for any big move. I I think that's what the Rodney Hood trade uh, injury did. It made me more risk averse. I don't want to if there. I want to make one thousand percent sure that the guys that are injured are healthy one hundred percent. 
And then I also, I, I think there is some value in extending their, their rest dates in the sense of hope. And I think hope doesn't get enough weight put on it in the sense that if you have a shitty year, which we're having, and you, you end up with a, a lottery pick and you don't make the playoffs, there's hope that, okay, we're getting Zach back. We're getting Nurk back. Now, if we get Zach and Nurk back, and yeah, maybe we're out of the playoffs or we're trying to fight for a spot, but it doesn't really look great through 5, 10, maybe 15 games. You don't feel so great going into that offseason. The fans don't have anything to hold on to. The players don't have much to hold on to. And I think hope can really propel you through the summer, through those workouts, knowing, oh man, we got these guys in in, in the wings, got Rodney in the wings. Like we are ready to go. Like that's what what made the 07-08 season, I wouldn't say magical because that, that's the wrong word, but entertaining is maybe a, a better phrasing for that one because Greg Oden obviously tore uh, or had the microfracture before the season started. But we knew that, okay, look, look how great our young players are doing now. They won 13 straight games, ended the season 500. We're going to get another lottery pick. And goddamn, we got Greg Oden coming back next year. I mean, the the 0809 season was so fun and we were able to kind of we we built off that because we knew what we had and that's a similar situation to what I think you could be experiencing as a Pelicans fan you know looking at Zion you're like oh, we I mean yeah we're doing poor but you know look what Zion did in the summer and in the preseason like look what not, Brandon Ingram is doing yeah I, let, let's know. not rush this like and, and yes you could be setting yourself up for a false narrative or giving yourself false hope but is it better? Isn't that better than man? Zach looks shitty those last ten games. I mean that that lingers with you. That absolutely lingers with you. And I brought up Mo Harkless, and he isn't even on our team for how bad he was, man. Like shit, like that happens. So I I would be a lot more risk averse to you know trot out Nurk for his last for the ten games of the season where. It doesn't fucking matter. I'd rather lose those games. So then are you saying let's just punt on, on Bays and Whiteside and let those contracts run out and get that money off the books? Because of Hood? Yeah. I mean, Rodney Hood changes a lot. I was more... I was cool with taking risks if we had a small forward that could hit threes at a high clip. We don't have that. It changes a lot. I mean, yeah. So I I would probably just... Deal with the uh, ha- have uh, cash. I would have money where we could do things. I don't need to trade it for a guy that's, you know, going to be our free agency this summer. I might as well. We might as well just see what we can do with twenty nine mil or whatever it is in free agency, and maybe be able to make lopsided trades and stuff like that. There's, it just is. It it, it it's more. Uh, I can deal with that more than making a panic trade. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsors, and then we're going to get right back into the upcoming slate of games. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. 
Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, the Blazers sit at 9-15. and 15. They are currently down in the dweller of the Western Conference. Only Memphis, New Orleans, and Golden State have worse records. Uh, but somehow, the, the seventh seed is occupied by the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are at 10-12. and 12. So the bottom of the West is bad. There's no sugarcoating that, and the Blazers do have a favorable schedule. To me, I'm going to chalk up the Oklahoma City performance really due to a Rodney Hood hangover. I mean, I I've still have a Rodney Hood hangover. I can only imagine how bad it's for the players themselves. But at the same time, the Blazers have a winnable game against the New York Knicks, and for the sake of all things red hot and rolling, they have to find a way to get this one done because the Knicks have been the laughing stock of the league. They are 4-19. They have lost nine straight games. They fired David Fisdale. Their social media team doesn't even post the final score anymore. I mean, as a former social media guy with the NBA team, that's just like, it. shit's really got to go bad for you not even to post the final score. I mean, you you cannot lose to the New York Knicks. I just think for everyone's mental sanity, they have to find a way to get this done. All right. So there's a statistic that I don't know if it's true anymore, but it was for a while. Julius Randle is leader in points, touches, rebounds, assists, and uh, I think turnovers. So Julius Randle is an enormous part of uh, the Knicks team. So we have to find out a way to stop him. Well, let's not forget when he was with the Pelicans last year, he gave us fits and that in was that with, pick and roll. That was with Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we sucked against that pick and roll for years though. With that's saying, the, he is the t- exact type of player. Who oh yeah. He, he's going to bully the absolute shit out of Carmelo and you know, he's going to be a little too fast for Hassan shit like that. He's a, I mean him and RJ are the two people we have to worry about. Because Marcus Morris has played well. But, dude, I don't know. Like, no one else has consistent minutes. It could be Frankie Smokes. It could be Dennis. Uh, Who? Uh, Frank Nielakina. Oh, I've never heard that one before, bud. Well, but, like, they have the only two people guaranteed of playing time are Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. It could be a Marcus Morris day. It could be a Bobby Portis day. It could be a Mitchell Robinson day. Taj Gibson. They have just so many people that you already know what their their shit is that you know Mitchell Robinson's getting treated like shit because he only gets 15 minutes a game unless he's on fire so the two people that I could project that will be big parts of this particular team is RJ Barrett and Julius Randle I think that RJ Barrett is a rookie Kemp Bazemore I'm looking at you to really show him what it's like to be in the NBA by playing really aggressive on him i and then the Julius one, I'm kind of questioning what we do. So I, I, I want kind of RJ Barrett and I. I mean, with, with the Knicks, 
you hope they shoot from the perimeter, but I am concerned that they're going to beat us up on the glass. Um, the one thing they're they good at size. offensively is re- offensive rebounds. Yep. I mean, you got Julius, you got RJ. I mean, well, RJ can rebound. Uh, you got Mark. You got a lot of bigs. I mean, I think this one is going to be a lot closer than anyone would hope. Oh, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a close game. Are you my, gonna, are you pulling the trigger on this one, bro? No, I, I called my shot against the Lakers, and and that didn't work out. You got su- kicked in the stomach after you made that shot, man. Super well. <laughs> my my head is saying that the Knicks are going to win. They 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 beat they almost beat the Pacers in, in their interim coaches uh, first. First game they lost one of four to one of three. They this is the first game of their road trip. They're not playing on a back to back. They are just the type of team that can kind of give us problems because of the size they have. They have veteran players. It's a similar makeup to the OKC team that kind of mm-hmm. came in here and just punched us in the face. My heart will not let that happen. I will predict begrudgingly, not begrudgingly, but I would say with the the little amount of confidence that the Blazers kind of pull themselves up by the bootstraps and say, we we're, we're bumming out right now, but we just cannot afford to let this happen. I, I think the, the Rodney hood hangover effect, it either stops in terms of you stop the bleeding a little bit against the Knicks, or it just becomes a full on flood if, if we lose this one. So it, it to me, this is the the the, mo- the turning point in the season in terms of okay, we're kind of shitty to oh my god, like can we just sim to the end and, and forget this season ever happened? So, long story short, I think we find a way just because you know we shot really poorly against OKC. I, I don't know if that's going to happen again. New York's probably just as interested in playing defense as we are. I think we have more talent, uh, but watch the bench. Mitchell Robinson scares me. And we really need to figure out a way to get somebody up. We need to get somebody going on the bench. And hopefully this is a game that we can get Anthony going. I think we win because Dame's better than everybody else on the Knicks team. I I, I could see that. Uh, I think he, Dame and Hassan have good games and we win. I mean, by that logic, we should have beat the Thunder, though. Chris Paul was good. Not better than Damian Lillard. No, but Chris Paul's better than... Frankie Smokes and who the fuck else is on that team? Where where did this Frankie Smokes nickname come from? I'm starting to uh, think you just made it up yourself, Sage. Daily Fantasy. My love and greatest passion. All right. Two week. Thankfully, for, for our, our, our sake, it's only a two-game week. Portland then has a Thursday contest against the Denver Nuggets in Denver, Sage, um, any hope that the Blazers get get it done here? Denver is not playing good basketball right now. Fourteen and seven, eight and three at home. the 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 little amount of solace that, that I take in the season is that the Nuggets are not he- hitting expectations. The Utah Jazz certainly are not hitting their expectations. Two teams with with little to no no injuries and and minimal roster turnover were supposed to be challenging for the upper echelon of the Western Conference are kind of uh, stubbing their toes a little bit. So so that does bring me a little bit of joy that we can at least, you know, fall back on the on the old injury bug. Whereas, you know, what's their excuse, huh? Jokic playing shitty. 
Um, I mean, he came, I mean, I'd be very concerned if I was a Denver fan long-term. He doesn't seem like he cares about taking care of his body. They are a team that that really needs to try to find a dynamic duo like Jokic and, and Murray. And, and a bunch I don't of, think Murray's playing. Murray's playing really bad. Too. I mean, they just have. They don't play good enough defense to be uh, a 12 deep type of squad like the Blazers in, in 2000. And I just I don't like the, the makeup of that team. I think they top out as as a second round as a second round team. So. They're good at. They are a good defensive team and they rebound really well. So two things that we kind of suck at. So I think the reba- the hustle boards are going to be the uh, deciding factor in the game. Uh, I think Paul Millsap doesn't play much and it's a Jeremy Grant game because uh, Mello's not the traditional. We don't have a traditional power forward on the roster. So Millsap's not going to be that big of a, a factor. Um, I think the Nuggets win. The only way the Blazers don't is if Dame goes absolutely insane and just drops his nuts on the table. Like Denver I mean, is a better team. The one, the one big advantage we had was Rodney Hood posting up their smaller guards. That is no longer on the table. To me, all I'm going to look for is heart and hustle. I do think our guards can take advantage of it. Uh, Whiteside staying out of foul trouble will be key because we don't have another player to go at uh, a Jokic. But Melo, they are now, the worst team at uh, attempting field goals in the NBA. And, and Melo now has the ability as as a four to to post up that he could give us what we had in Hood. So I, I would look for for Melo to have have a nice game. But again, we're playing in the altitude. We don't have a bench. I, I think we do play well, but. I think they outlast us. I'm honestly terrified that this game is on TNT. If we draw Chris Webber again, I'm going <laughs> to pull my hair out. Like I've been, having, I've been having to listen to the games on mute lately. He is so, so terrible. It's like he finds one narrative and he just repeats beat, the shit out of it. He, I, I don't un- listen to it. Unlistenable. I don't, I don't listen to any of it. I listen to podcasts or whatever. I, I, uh, their takes, especially the national media takes, are just so ass. Like, don't even, don't let it bother you. Listen to podcasts or you know your favorite music. Like, don't but it listen. Does because that's my squad, Sage, and this, this is but, how it's been for my entire tenure as a fan. Is the media will pick up on one thing and they will beat the us media to sucks. death over it. It, it. it does, but that's why Blazer fans have such a chip on their shoulders because we never get credit. For anything, I mean, when we were in the finals in '92, it was oh, the Blazers are a dumbass team. Jordan's so much better than Drexler. This team's just going to self implode. When we were in it in 2000, it was nothing but Shaq and Kobe, and we didn't have a closer, and that was their narrative. And we were just you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of you know degenerates who got a ton of technicals, and you know that's not what the league. <laughs> How wanted. many games do you think see Webb's watch the Blazers this year? He probably is the games that he's called, and I understand that, Sage. So he doesn't have a experienced opinion about this team. None of Fuck the them. national writers do. Uh, like it, over over the time history, there are some uh, Chris Haynes that I really do enjoy, but uh, yes, I, I, most I, people don't I, watch this team because they're asleep by ten. Like I, so they Sage, don't have. You're preaching to the choir. Like I, I agree, but 
it's still like this has been something that's you know grinding at the axe for for 30 plus years yeah that that chips that chips on there like i just a big giant fuck you to the national media essentially i just muted and listened to a podcast i know what the fuck's happening i don't need chris weber to tell me what the fuck's happening i know i know more about this team than chris weber ever will like i don't give a fuck like Fuck, fuck the national media. I don't care. It just means that the cameras are nicer. That's the only difference in my mind between, you know, a national media game and the Blazers Comcast doing it. It's just the cameras are better. Don't even listen to the bullshit narratives that they're spinning. I know you've dealt with it, but like, fuck it. Don't listen to it. Don't even give them any like shitty stuff on Twitter. Just you're, you don't mean shit to me. Fuck out of here. We'll see. Sorry. I'm like a protective Papa Bear cub when it comes to my team. This shit, hey, talk all the shit you want. I don't hear it. So fuck off, Chris Weber. Fuck off, Reggie Miller. The only good one on TNT is uh, shit, the old guy. No, he's terrible too. Marv Albert? No. Former coach, Hubie Brown. He's not on TNT, he's ESPN. Well, fuck them as a label, a crew. (laughs) And if you fuck with, you know. (laughs) But it it is a legitimate point of how terrible the announcers have, have. No, just in terms of calling a game like i tweeted out the last time we played the clippers like is marv albert like legitimately yeah he called hassan okay. zubak yeah he, called he Mo- thought zubak had three blocks and he he just did it and chris weber didn't point it point him out didn't call it it's like yeah. where have the days have gone like un- unless it's like doris Tarico, or hubie i'm not watching it like we need where have our where have all the good announcers gone the one uh, TNT had a New Orleans game, and the New Orleans uh, guy actually spoke on it, so I enjoyed that. But man, there's a lot of bad announcers. But you know what? I'm I'm listening to the Dolly Parton podcast or some other shit. I don't I don't I don't give a fuck about what they think of the team. They don't know shit. But uh, well, this podcast turned uh, pretty surly in, in a hurry. But, I, I'm just not going to let some un- non-knowing motherfucker get me upset. I mute them on Twitter. Like they don't, they don't, they don't affect me at all, man. Like if you, if you're a broadcaster that doesn't know the team that you're going against, like, oh, like daily fantasies help me because I know damn near every team that we're going against. Most of these motherfuckers are asleep at 10 p.m. Like they're not watching the Trailblazers; they're watching the Lakers or the Clippers. Like. They don't know shit. But if you want to listen to a podcast that does know shit, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Himalaya Podcasts. And uh, one of these days, I'll have time to put it on YouTube. So uh, fuck with us. And we'll be back next week to talk about this team and hopefully the two dubs. Peace out, but I have to piss so bad. Later, dude. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go!